of my Uncle Reg. I'll say that again. <clears throat> Jesus is the opposite of my Uncle Reg. Let me explain. I used to go, um, I used to live in Devon, and uh, my uh, Uncle Reg also lived in Devon. Um, he was quite a wealthy man. We used to go to his lovely big house. He had a tennis court, and we used to go and play there as kids. Absolutely amazing place. And he used to call me over, and he used to say something like this. Andy, uh, I can't remember how much I gave you last time uh, for your pocket money, but I'm going to give you double this time. And... Uh, the thing was, uh, he, he used to then grab your hand, and before you could say anything, with this big smile on his face, he used to shake your hand, and immediately you knew there was nothing in his hand yet again. He'd always double nothing. Uh, it was a, he was a lovely, godly, Christian man, but he had a very warped, funny sense of humour. Um, and the thing about Uncle Reg is you expected great things from him. You, you drove into this massive house, and you thought, he can give me a pound, surely, something, just to buy a few sweets. And yet it was always double nothing. <laughs> and then off he went. And it was very odd. But you always left, in a sense, on only with regard to pocket money, disappointed. Jesus is the opposite of my Uncle Reg. That is, you come to Jesus with an expectation, and he never disappoints. In fact, he kind of completely, infinitely exceeds your expectations. And Luke's gospel, we've been looking at just one occasion, we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks, is story after story after story of expectations being blown apart by Jesus. People have expectations of who he is, what he will say, um, you know, what he will do. And every time, page after page, he does more, he says more, he is more. Always. More than anyone's ever imagined. And I guess we, we begin today just saying, what's your expectation of Jesus as you come here today? As who you are? As you approach him in his word, the Bible, what do you expect from this encounter with Jesus? Maybe not much. And that ought not to be a surprise, given the culture that we live in in the West. We're very cynical, aren't we, of the exceptional. Uh, we love the kind of the relative thinking, the non-confrontational, the lowest common denominator. My boys can't even play competitive sport anymore. You know, it's that bad. But, but Jesus is about to kind of smash that kind of mediocrity apart. People come expecting little and boom, Jesus blows their minds. He lifts their horizons. Their expectations go through the roof, literally, as we'll see in one of the stories. As you come to Jesus today, I kind of ask you, raise your expectations. Raise them. Uh, he doesn't come and offer small things. He doesn't come and offer things that just last for a few years and then are gone. He comes and he offers and brings eternal things, joy that lasts forever, and ultimately we see the forgiveness of sin. What we'll see today is that Jesus is the king, we're going to map that out throughout the early chapters of Luke's gospel, and, and we, see that we saw the authority of the king, and now we're going to see the forgiveness of the king in these three short stories that we're going to look at, because he offers so much more than perhaps we first expected. 
Let's dive into the first story, shall we? Uh, we? I've called it a greater cleansing. I hope that becomes apparent as we go on. Look at, look at the cast to begin with, if you like. Uh, opening verses, you've got Jesus, and you've got a man with leprosy. Yes, crowds come in, and the priests come in later, but they're the main characters, aren't they, in this little story? But I think, and I thought this would be helpful if we could do this, leprosy, I think, is better understood not from this account, but I want to take you back a bit to the Old Testament account, which is mentioned there, Uh, of the sacrifices of Moses in verse 14. Uh, Because I think there you'll see, of the very few moments where leprosy was healed within the Old Testament, a whole kind of uh, ritual system needed to take place. And it it shows you the magnitude of what it meant to have leprosy at that time. Better seen in Leviticus 14. Do make a note of that later. You can turn to it if you'd like to. We're going to look at the early few verses. But that maps out, that chapter maps out within the Old Testament law, what needed to happen if someone were healed from leprosy. Firstly, the the person had to go outside the camp to be physically inspected by the priests from toe right to everywhere. And that if someone had been healed, Leviticus 14 verse 4 says this, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedarwood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. So what happens in the following verses, verse 5 to 8, one of the birds is then killed over the pot with the water in. And the blood, all the blood had to go into that pot, uh, along with um, the hyssop and the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn. The person then who had been healed and had been verified as healed by the priest would be sprinkled seven times with this blood water mix and all the, all the rest of the stuff as well. The live bird would then be covered with the blood also and then let off uh, uh, to symbolise this new freedom that the person now enjoyed, now free from leprosy. The cleansed man was then washed. Uh, his clothing uh, was, was washed He shaved his hair and his body as well and bathed. And then for seven days would be able to enter the camp for a time of just utter rejoicing. On the seventh day, his head and his eyebrows were also shaved too. He's bathed again, symbolic now of being reborn. It was like a new life had come back to this man. It was a new existence. And then on the eighth day, three lambs were sacrificed, a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering. I'm not going to go into the detail, but that's what happened. The blood of those offerings were then taken, applied to the person's ear, their thumb and their big toe. Okay, work with me on this. Then oil was applied to the ear, the thumb and the big toe, symbolizing that this person was now someone who would hear the word of God. Their hands would be used for the glory of God. And they would walk with God with their feet every day of their lives. Then oil was poured on the head of the person. It was allowed to run down the whole way down their body. Of course, symbolic now that the whole of this person was for God, for God's glory. It was such an occasion of joy. Now, I don't want you to get bogged down with all that detail, hence why I ran through it very, very quickly indeed. But the language shows again and again that this is viewed by them as a complete new life. This is a resurrection in some terms. It was, is, it was as if he was dead and now he was back to life. And the very interesting thing is that Leviticus 14 has uh, whispers, overtones the whole way through it. That this is what Christ has achieved for us. The same language is there as it is for Christ. 
Through his death and resurrection, we are given a new life. And all this joy, all this cleansing that this healed leper can know, can be known by us today. But let's have a look. Let's have a look at the passage in front of us. I know that was a bit of a big introduction, but it gives you the size, the weight, the the bigness of what it was to have leprosy in this time and what it meant for the people of that time. Let's look at verse 5. You'll see verse 12. Immediately it says, when Jesus was in one of the towns, a a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Literally that means it says he was full of it. it. The disease had taken and run its course completely. The man probably most lost most of his extremities, whether that's fingers, probably down to the stubs of his hair, his wrists, uh, ears, probably would lost many, that kind of lion face, of his, his nose would probably be gone as well, stubs on his feet, that kind of thing. That was the ravages of kind of leprosy. It was like a horror movie. It was grim decay. Now, it's only in the last hundred years, actually, that we know that leprosy is not a disease of decaying skin. Uh, 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 flesh disease. Hanston's disease, as it's now known, is not a rotting disease. Rather, it's a loss of the pain receptors within the body, such that a person can very accidentally and easily put their hand into a fire and burn their hand and and just not realise it. They can trap their foot in a door and and just not realise it and their toe can come off. That's the extent of what leprosy is. The missionary doctors who worked out so hard to find this out used to call leprosy a painless hell. And still in third world nations, they send cats home with lepers, people with Hansen's disease. Why? Because vermin would feed on their extremities overnight and they would never know. The lot of the leper, I'm saying this simply because uh, 2,000 years ago, this was utterly unbearable. They were isolated a leper would have to have worn torn clothes. They would have had to, it's funny, my boys would love this, but they, they never had to, they, they had to have unkept hair, okay? Never brush their hair at all. Sounds great, doesn't it? But, you know, not a problem for me. But they were, you know, they were forced to live alone. Even if they had family who loved them, they had to be isolated. And if they were to walk down a street, they had to shout out and even ring a bell and say, unclean, unclean. Later, teaching in Jewish law actually made it illegal even to speak to a leper. You could dismiss a leper, you could shout at a leper, but you could never speak to. Everyone who had to keep, everyone had to keep their distance. Interestingly, even put into the law that you had to be 100 cubits if they were upwind from you. That's 45 metres away from them. And if they were downwind from you, they only had to be 4 cubits, which is 2 metres away. Josephus, the historian of this time, the Jewish historian, summed up a lot by saying they were treated as if they were dead men. They were the walking dead, as some others described it. Now... The thing was that people concluded, hence the ceremonial nature of Leviticus 14, people concluded, they said, that person has sinned a lot. That person has turned their back on God a lot. Hence the suffering that they are facing. They'd read accounts such as Miriam and Isaiah in the Old Testament, and they said, hey, look, these people have suffered leprosy because they're sinned. But they'd misread them because they are direct punishments for direct sins. But again and again, though, the difference is that the Bible doesn't use leprosy in that way. God doesn't use it in that way. Rather, always leprosy is seen as an illustration for the effects of sin in all of us. The leper in this story is no more sinful than I 
or any of you. What we have in front of us, therefore, uncomfortable though it is, is if you like a parable of sin. A parable of us turning our backs on God. Oh, we can do that in very, very, very British middle class ways. Just ignoring God casually. That's still sin. And this is a parable of sin. Leprosy was the outward visible sign, if you like, of an inward spiritual corruption that we all know. We're all spiritual lepers, if you like. From the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. Without the cleansing work of Christ, Ephesians 2 put it, you know, we're dead in our sins. We're the walking dead. And therefore, I guess my encouragement to us today, and it's been my encouragement this week to myself, we need to see ourselves with spiritual eyes, as the leper did. It's interesting, have a look at the text. Uh, when he comes along and meets Jesus, what does he say? He falls with his face to the ground. He says, if you're willing, you can make me, you can, you can heal me. Does that, is it, no. He says, you can make me clean. It's, it's not, he's not pointing to the physical. He's pointing to the spiritual. He had the overwhelming sense that before an almighty God, he was unclean. He was aware of his condition, as we need to be aware of our own condition spiritually before God. But the wonderful thing is that he knows he's utterly helpless. Therefore, he's a perfect recipient, isn't he? He's, He's ready to receive God's kindness, his grace. Jesus doesn't come, you see, for those of us who think, hey, I'm not, I'm not too bad, I'm a kind of middle-class chap, I'll go and do, do my work in the city, I'm, I'm fairly nice, I've, I give to just giving, kind of click my links for all my friends doing the marathon and so on, I'm a kind of charitable kind of... No. Jesus doesn't come for the self-sufficient, for the self-importance. Those of us who feel we have something to offer to him. He comes to those of us who know that we are <coughs> spiritual lepers. <coughs> Utterly needy before God. I wonder if you can imagine yourself, the spiritual leper that you are, what are you going to try and offer Christ? Are you going to try and impress him with the torn rags of your possessions? I drive this car. I've done a bathroom extension to my house. I've just got a promotion at work. Look at how wonderfully dressed I am. I even helped out yesterday with some old people. Surely that really puts something up for it. No. We must come to Christ literally walking down the road of life saying, unclean, unclean. But we struggle with that, don't we? Am I alone in this? I don't think so. I I love to think I'm pretty important and and, pretty great at everything. I'm not. You know that. I know that. We hate to think that we are unclean, unclean before God. But this man knew his spiritual condition. That's why he says, Lord, you can cleanse me. So he fell with his face to the ground. It's kind of a, uh, it's submitting himself before Jesus, recognizing he's the one who can do it. You can make me clean, he says. And do you believe that? Do you see Jesus as the one who can make you clean? Are you praying for your friends so that they would make... That Jesus would make them clean? There's two opposite ways I think people generally go because of the way that our hearts work. I think either we say, oh, I can come to God with something. Look at me, I'm great. I'm I'm pretty all right. Self-sufficient. Or some of us can actually come the other way. I think both are equally bad. Some of us say, do you know what I've done? 
I'm that bad. I'm that unclean. Surely God can't sort that out. And there'll be some people here, I'm sure, who say, look, I've just done too much. I know what God expects of me, and I'm way, way, way beyond the mark. I know that, you know, whether it's adultery, pornography, being really angry of God because of circumstances that you've got yourselves in, uh, you've been put into, uh, you know, that you just feel cross the whole time because you are in this situation of life. Single, can't have kids, whatever it may be. You may be thinking now, I've been too cross with God. God, you'll never accept me. So it's funny, actually, people even think, you know, they look at you as, as me as kind of a church minister and say, oh, Andy, you, you, I can't possibly tell you what, really what I've done. Uh, can I say you'll never, ever shock Jesus and you'll never shock me? I, uh, you know, whether it's people who've been involved in child abuse and pornography or multiple adulteries or face, you know, kind of fraudulent millions, it is amazing what you see and hear. And as a minister, I've seen people struggle in all of these areas. But my response, and Jesus, more importantly, his response, is always the same. Jesus is in the business of healing lepers. Like you and like me. And the leper must have felt this compassion in such a real way. It's physical too. Do note, look at verse 13. This is mind-blowing, okay? Imagine that just the silence amongst the people. He reached out his hand and he touched him. There's a barber that I go to. I don't know why, but you know, I do actually go to a barber occasionally. And uh, you know, we've got a reasonable relationship with her. And um, she's, I said, this guy that always comes in, same time every week. And I said, yeah, he's like me. He doesn't really need to go either. And I say, why is it? And she said to me, he said, I think it's because it's the only contact he gets in the whole week, in the whole of his life, so devoid of appropriate touch. <laughs> it's amazing here. I don't misread this. Jesus, the, the touch of Jesus here in verse, there's nothing inappropriate, but it's deeper, it's longer, it's loving. The the fact that Jesus touches him is is just mind-blowing because it would have made him ceremonially unclean. But Jesus did this to love him. But much more, it is is an utter foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. The the one who knew no sin, who would become sin for us, we're told. Jesus has spiritually reached out his hand and he's reaching out his hand right now to each of us. And he's saying, you are decaying on your own in your sin. And he's willing to take that on himself. Jesus says, be clean. And of course, immediately the leprosy left him. Now, we're not sure how this happened. Wouldn't it be great to watch it? You know, fingers sprout out, ears, you know, out they come. We're just not sure. All the physical signs of the disease have gone. And the crowd would have been utterly amazed. The people there, the observers. I guess the question is... Are we amazed? Because there is a greater cleansing on offer here in Christ. If we trust in him, he's offering to purify us, to cleanse us, to make us right spiritually. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, 
We are united, I guess, all of us in one thing, that we are spiritual lepers before God. And Jesus, through his powerful word that we're hearing right now, can bring complete cleansing. If we trust him. Oh, verse 14, let's go quicker now. Um, Jesus gives the command to not tell uh, anyone, uh, go and see the priests. I guess there's two reasons why he says go and see the priest. I think practically, because of Leviticus 14, he's saying go and get checked out. Go, go, go and make sure that ceremonially this is all okay as a testimony to you and to the rest of the people around you. But here is the really interesting thing. I think he's saying go and tell the priest because one of the great signs of the Messiah coming in the Old Testament was that there would be a, if you like, a... a a suppression of sin that the devil would not have his, his, his way as much, but also that leprosy, leprosy would be gone in the age of the Messiah. That is, there was a way out. And Jesus is saying, go to the priest to see that the Messiah has come. It's me, Jesus is saying. Jesus here is just saying, look, I'm the forgiving king. I've got the power to heal from, from the ravages of sin. I guess this is a parable of, of sin, which is saying there is a greater now cleansing. There's greater forgiving off, on offer in Jesus. How do we receive it? Three quick things. We need to come to Christ as the leper did, acknowledge our sin. Secondly, we need to fall before Jesus as the leper did, because without him, there's no hope. Thirdly, you need to rest your faith and you need to trust in Jesus. And say, you can do it. And only you can do it. Only you can make me right before God. There's a greater cleansing. Let's move on quicker. The first one, we've kind of looked at it in a bit more detail. The second one, we'll take a glance at. And the third one, we'll run through. So don't panic. Okay? There's a greater walking. The circumstances are different here. The heat is turned up. Everywhere Jesus goes now, we see the paparazzi are there. They're followed. Everyone from all the local towns and villages in verse 17 are there. They see that in the crowds. But now the Pharisees are there too. Now they're not there to support Jesus and cheer him on, say, doing great work, we love you. No, they're there to pick holes in him and try and trip him up. They want to condemn Jesus. And very soon after this, we see they're plotting to kill him for the first time. What happens? Well, Jesus, the second part of verse 17, he has the power of God to heal and is doing so. Man is brought to Jesus who is paralyzed. He has friends who love him so much they're willing to come along, bring this man to Jesus, believing that he can heal him. What do they do? They climb up the stairs, either to the side of the house. That would be normal to have stairs up the side of the house because people have uh, dried up uh, food, uh, dried the clothes, all sorts of things on top of the house, flat roofs. Or they would have turned, gone to the next door house, climbed up there, hopped across. The houses were quite close together. That was kind of normal. And they cut a root hole in the roof and lowered the man down. Now, don't think, I, I don't know if you've seen this, if you ever were in Sunday school, you know, the pictures of a very kind of laser-cut hole in the roof, you know, and, and a very thin roof. Everything, everything is sort of like clinical, isn't it? And no, like roofs in those times were wooden beam roofs and they had slats going the other way and then there was a foot of modern straw that would have been sheened on the top to have a smooth surface in order to stand the weight uh, of living on top of that roof. They dug a hole through a foot, some slats, and then a beam. This would have been hot work, messy work, 
I doubt there was a flush corner. Dave would not be happy, I'm sure. But here's where it gets really interesting. Verse 20. Have a look at it. And here's your expectations. What do you expect? I know you know the story, but what do you expect when you get to verse 20? What do the men expect who have brought uh, this man to Jesus? They expect a small thing. And they get a huge thing. It's that broadening of expectations again. The men on the roof, the crowd gathered, pushing to get a glimpse of Jesus. They're expecting this big miracle. And they're expecting to say, aren't they, get up and walk. They're all on tenderhooks going, I want to see this. I want to hear it. But Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. It'd be like going to an event where you hear, you see on the invitation, said a member of the royal family will be there and you get one of the queen's corgi dogs. You know, there'd be a kind of palpable sense of disappointment, wouldn't there? As you're expecting a royal member of the household, but actually you just get a corgi dog. It'd just be like that here. He says, son, you're saying, oh, come on. We wanted to get up and walk. They've come for the show. They've come for the miracles. They've come for the excitement. It seems such a letdown. The men on the roof, they're hot. They're bothered. They've, they've done so much to get this man here. And then, oh, no. The reason we've come, it's not happened they've done a very good and loving thing to bring this man to Jesus to be healed so he could walk but they asked for something practical something temporal that will last what 10, 20, 30 years and they've asked for something physical essentially they had short sight Jesus on the other hand has this penetrating vision into this man he looks into the heart of this man. He sees his greatest need. And what does he do? He does something spiritual, not physical. He does something eternal, not temporal. Because Jesus looks further and beyond. Imagine the man by the end of verse 20. How do you think he might have felt? He may have felt a bit angry. You know, his friends have done so much to get him here. He's expecting, a, he knows Jesus can heal. Why has Jesus not healed me when he's healed others? He may have been concerned, slightly, you know, felt sorry for his friends who'd expended so much time and energy to get him there. The man's goal was to walk. But Jesus' goal for this man, and Jesus' goal for every single one of us here, is that we walk a greater walk. That is an eternal walk with him that begins now, but goes on forever. And that is only possible through the powerful and loving word of Jesus in verse 20. That Jesus says to you and he says to me, as he said to this man, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knew when he said those words what it would cost him. That is, it would cost him, in the immediate circumstances, the raising of the heat with the Pharisees straight away. And you see that in the following verses. But it would also lead to his death on a cross. But he was willing. He was willing to walk through death and judgment so that we could walk a greater walk to be eternally forgiven. Oh, the religious leaders, as we see, they're utterly furious. They're saying only God can forgive sins, and that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. 
Because God has stood right in front of them in human flesh. And obviously, you know, no one can prove that Jesus has forgiven the sins of the man. Um, so the skeptics at this point would be having a field day. As, you know, you can imagine all the crowds saying, oh, he's just saying it. Uh, but Jesus turns to the man. And he does the hard thing to say, but the easy thing to do. And he says, get up and walk. Notice the power of Jesus' word here. It's all immediate. That same powerful word is speaking to us right now through his word, the Bible. And the question for all of us, including me, is are you going to listen today? Jesus looks into each of our hearts and he sees the greatest need is not to walk out of here. Uh, It isn't anything temporal, anything physical. You may live in crippling pain. You may live silently, enduring whatever it may be in your life. You may be lonely, single, disabled, maybe made redundant, relatively poor, sick, sad, depressed, anything. But Jesus looks into your heart today and he sees your greatest need. You need your sins forgiven so that you can walk a greater walk with him for eternity. So in Christ there's a greater cleansing, a greater walking, and lastly a greater life. I'm going to be very quick here. I don't know if you're anything like me, most blokes generally are, but you, when you go into the doctors, you kind of heap up about eight things, you kind of put it off for a while, and then you say, oh yeah, doctor, I've got, I know we've only got four minutes, I know the NHS give you four minutes, I've got eight things that I need to tell you and you need to give a diagnosis and I'm only going to go and see you every 10 years. Okay, you know, maybe that's you. It's certainly me. And you keep putting things off. I, I don't know about you, but the doctor, you know, isn't a physician here. He's a saviour. Uh, and my point is just don't put it off if you have been. He doesn't heal sickness. He forgives sins. And he heals all the brokenness caused by sin. And the great little, uh, if you like, message here at the end is, if you have been putting off going to the greater doctor, the Lord Jesus Christ, just look at Levi, because he doesn't. The uh, the men who brought the paralyzed men to Jesus were looking for something secondary. But the great thing about Levi, he comes to Jesus for what is primary. Levi needs Jesus. He knows he is spiritually dead and unclean. He needs forgiveness. Jesus comes by. And what does he do? He follows He listens to Jesus' powerful words and he follows. Levi was a tax collector, actually later named Matthew, wrote the first gospel that we've got here. Uh, He's ritually unclean because he mixes with Gentiles as a tax collector. He's treated and viewed as a robber. Sin will be after him. Physically outcast, he's spiritually lost. But Jesus comes along, he knows his need and he gives up everything. Well, He goes back for a banquet, so he probably doesn't give up his house, but he gives up everything as far as everything that was making him an outcast and unclean. That is his job, probably, and his income. He gives up everything to follow Jesus. I want to know, I want to go through this very quickly, but notice just a couple of things. It's just interesting that when when he does follow Jesus, he he invites Jesus back for a banquet. He invites all his friends. Jesus doesn't embarrass him in a social situation of the banquet. Rather, Levi wants Jesus to meet all of his friends. I wonder if that's true for us. I wonder if you get embarrassed when someone says, you church last night? Um, Maybe. Maybe I went a little bit. How's the weather today? 
you get embarrassed? Levi was never embarrassed. He knew how special Jesus was. He was willing to give up everything for Jesus. Even that embarrassment in a social situation. Levi has everything materially he could want. He was a very wealthy, I guess, successful man. But that life was nothing in comparison to the greater life on offer in Jesus. There's a greater cleansing, there's a greater walking that Jesus offers us through his word. And it leads to this greater life. It may not include great wealth, it may. It may not include great health, though it may. But it does lead to a greater life. There may be persecution, there may be mockery along the way. But Levi saw something, such that he decided, I'm going to leave everything and follow this man, Jesus. Levi was so thrilled with what he found that he was willing to trust Jesus with everything that he had. And so much so he just couldn't keep quiet about it as well. He engineered the most effective social situation that he possibly could uh, to, to make his greater life in Christ known to all of his friends. I wonder what social situation you might engineer in order to make Christ known to your friends. If you know a greater cleansing, if you're enjoying a greater walking and living a greater life, then, you, then you're willing to give up everything and follow Christ and you'll want your friends to know the greater doctor. Just look at these last two verses. They're, they're pretty mind-blowing. To, to summarise, I guess, Jesus has not come for the, the self-sufficient amongst us or the self-important. Rather, he's saying, these texts are just saying, come to Jesus. He's the greater doctor. You must hear his calling. And you come, as from the first story, in utter rags of your life. You come in the paralysis of your sin, to use the parallel in that second story. And you come to him, you trust him on your knees, and there is cleansing, and there is healing, forgiveness for our sin. I just wonder whether you realise your need. Jesus is the greater doctor. In him there is a greater cleansing, free from guilt and shame. No longer outcast before God, we can be eternally reconciled. In him there's a greater walking, a chance to walk with him today and for eternity. His sight is longer, and in him there is a greater life. Levi gives up everything because he understands his primary need, that is forgiveness for his sin. All the money, all the material possessions, all the prestige means nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. Turn to Jesus. I know many of you have, but it is always possible. I met someone this morning, in fact. I've been in a church for about 50 years. It is very possible to sit in a church and think, yeah, I know everything. But never, ever have come to Christ and said, look at me, I'm a spiritual leper. I've got nothing to offer. And yet, no, there is cleansing. There is forgiveness for sin. And there is a greater life on offer in him. If that is you, do not leave here without coming to Jesus. Turn to him. Why? Well, look what he does in these passages. He stretches out his hand. And through his powerful word, he will say, you are cleansed before God. So his powerful word, he can say, you're forgiven for all of your sin. Come to him. And if you know him, 
engineer the social situation that you possibly can, throw the biggest banquet that you possibly can, so that your friends might come and hear about Christ too. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've run through these stories very quickly, but as we do examine him, he is extraordinary. Our expectations, though they were low, you have brought them high because we see in him one who can transform our lives, who can forgive us for our sin, and who can lead us to a life eternal. He does all of this, of course, through his death on the cross, where we should have been justly judged. He is judged in our place and takes all of our punishment and rises to new life so that we can have new life in him. Lord, we only need to trust your son. Help us to do that this week, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Andy.